Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we are going to talk about, I, you and I were talking this morning about an experience we had with a neighbor whose uh, wife took care of him for many years after he had a heart attack at the airport and a uh, long, long-term illness and uh, how that impacts grief and loss, uh, how that impacts grief recovery. So we've got an expert who has had personal experience, but also professional, that's going to talk to us about the impact that it has on you when you've had an anticipatory uh, loss. Would you like to introduce our guest, Hi. Sure. So our guest today is Phyllis Skripsik. She is a professional counselor in Michigan. She is a widow whose husband died in 2013, and she experienced grief while dealing with uh, a loved one's battle with a long-term illness and dealing with watching her husband as he had a long-term illness. Through years of anticipatory grief and experiencing secondary losses, she had to learn to deal with the pain and give herself grace which I love that. Mm -hmm. um, and she also has recently graduated from David Kessler's grief course and has a grief certificate in that course. And that is where we originally met. So welcome to the show, Phyllis. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to have you on. Now tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so my husband, Joe, um, was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer called adenoidal carcinoma back in 2003. It's very rare, about 1,300 people in the United States are diagnosed each year, so extremely rare. His actually, and so it usually starts in the head and neck and a throat, mouth area, all the soft tissues. His actually started in the trachea, and we were told that that was even more rare. Mm. And as this disease kind of progressed, it's very slow growing, but as it progressed, it can really speed up, and that's exactly what happened at the end of it. Um, there's, you can't really do so much chemo through it, um, because it's slow growing, but it's mostly radiation and surgery. Mm -hmm. And after a while, he actually, um, died because he hemorrhaged to death from a tumor. Wow. Yeah. Now you took care of him for how long? How long did he have this? Um, well, when he was diagnosed, they think he had it five to 10 years prior. So um, total, I think he had it 20 years. In the earlier days, he was doing fine. And then the later years, it was 10 years that we were really battling it. We were really struggling. Wow, that's, yeah. a, that's a long time to battle something. Long time. I mean, it must be so stressful for you and for him, for both of you. It was. And I didn't even know what anticipatory grief really was until like, you're in the midst of it. And I think with all grief, you know, it's kind of like the pain thing. You've had pain before, but until you're in it, you really don't know what it entails. Mm -hmm. And anticipatory grief, I mean, you know, when we was first diagnosed, we were in that crisis mode, that four to six weeks crisis mode. And I remember leaving my house because I couldn't deal with a lot of this stuff. So if he was okay, I would leave. And then in the midst of it, I'd be driving somewhere I knew I was at, but I really didn't know where I was at. I was missing exits, you know, mm -hmm. just so just really in that state of crisis and didn't know what to do. And then about four or six weeks kind of lulled out a little bit. 
But it's just in the midst of that, that it's so difficult not knowing what is going to be ahead of us. And we knew it was going to be a long journey, but we didn't know what it would all entail. Yeah. Well, and until somebody dies, we talk about anticipatory grief, but the reality in my experience in nursing is that until they say they're dead, there's hope. Yes. And, but, and also with a long-term illness, you kind of live between two states. You want hope, but you don't want them to struggle either. Right. And so right. it's like, well, you know, that's the hardest part. You want to hold on to hope, but yet you can also see things unraveling. And I yeah. think it's the most difficult thing. In fact, David mentioned, you don't go to a funeral, you don't attend a funeral until it's, you know, time, which is true. You got to be able to live in the moment. But when you see medical stuff unraveling, it's very difficult. In the yeah. So there must be um, doubting uh, after they've died. I was fortunate because we did have some of those hard conversations, you know, what he would want me to do. And if I had to make the call to kind of end uh, medical kind of protocol for him. And then we also like, you know, had some prearrangements with the funeral and that did help. Yeah, in the midst of it, you know, I've had people say, well, at least you were able to get things finalized. You were able to say goodbye, which is true. And yet when they die, it's like the grief kind of starts all over again, mm -hmm. but in a different way, in mm -hmm. a different way. And I think people are surprised to hear that, Phyllis. I've heard that before, and I'm glad that you're reiterating that because people seem to think, well, you knew he was going to die, so the grief must not be as profound. But it is, it is. Like you said, they're, they're gone physically. It's mm -hmm. like the finality. You knew it was coming. But you didn't, and even till the day when I knew we were in trouble when we went to the hospital, but I didn't have any clue that it was going to end up the way that it ended up. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that I had went and took a class with Dr. Wilfeld out in Colorado. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. And uh, 10 days later, I came home and my husband died. Had no wow. clue. You know? Wow. So there's so, no. So even though it's a long-term illness, it can be a sudden death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel that, um, you know, my son was killed in an automobile accident. And uh, do you feel that there really is uh, down the road, a huge amount of preparation for a loss of a loved one that close? I mean, do you think, do you think that it really helps you six months later? Not really. I mean, I think getting the funeral and stuff kind of put in place, it did help me in the moment, right? But afterwards, there's just all this new grief that comes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a weird kind of concept, but it really does happen. And then, of course, you know, you have to deal with all the aftermath of it and trying to get this taken care of, that taken care of. And you're already in the midst of grief, you know, um, and it's tiresome. Mm -hmm. So, so Phyllis, what surprised you the most about your grief journey? I think there is hope in the midst of it. I think that it does take time, that everybody does it different. There's no right or wrong. And for me, it was really about having a spiritual relationship with God. Mm -hmm. uh, that really got me through it. Mm -hmm. um, Talk about that, because I know there are people who you know, and maybe even lost their faith or come back to it or, you know. I was angry at God for a long time. And my husband was a devout Christian. He's like, don't be mad at God. And I said, listen, God can take it. <laughs> and I, true. I, 
I was, you know, I was angry, but I also, I said, God, please just give me what I need to know. Give me the signs that I need to know. And he did all the way through it, prepared me all the way through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and how about after? Did you feel that closeness? I did. I did. And so for about a year after, what I did is, is I really found grace in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. And that grace was if things weren't pressing and I didn't feel like doing something, I gave myself the grace to not do it. Mm-hmm. Instead of always having to be on, 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 on. I didn't have a TV at that point in time. So I just unplugged. I got more spiritually connected with God. And um, and that's kind of the way I did it for, for like a year straight. Now, did you um, spiritually, did you have a support group, a religious support group, or did you do it on your own? I had been to church, I had been moving, and so I had found a new church, and um, it was really great to go to that, and then I also have really great supportive friends that was there even the day that he was getting ready to die, mm-hmm. and that was amazing. So uh, Heidi and I have talked about the fact that um, the research shows that um, the support that you get from peers and also information from people, you know, um, it was important, but peer support is like number one, isn't it, Heidi? Yeah, peer support and getting adaptive coping skills, finding adaptive coping skills are two of the num- things that the research shows are the most important. And, and you know this, Phyllis, because it's what you did. It's what, how, it's what you're saying helped you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would be your advice to me? Uh, actually, my husband died last year. So and sorry. so I'm a year into it right now. And what, what's your advice for me? in that second year. The second year is a little tough. It is tough. I think almost every year. And you know, I I really came to a realization it doesn't get easier. I find that some days that's more manageable than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just to really have the grace to wherever you are is to honor that. That's the advice I would have to get. And to really, if you have the emotions is to let your emotions show and to really walk through it because they're there for a reason. Oh, I like that idea that your emotions are there for a reason and notice. Mm-hmm. Somebody said to me, say yes. You know, when people ask you to do things, say yes. Yeah. yeah. It's not always easy because mm-hmm. you're tired and maybe you want to pull the covers over your head. Whether somebody has lost the loved one or there's an anticipation of it, uh, well, it can be difficult, especially when you are dealing with somebody who has a long-term illness, you're questioning, is this going to be my last holiday? Will mm-hmm. this be my last Christmas? Will this be the last time that maybe we get to go out of town? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. Questioning, the questioning and wondering and unknown and all that kind of thing. Yeah. be very difficult. Which, I mean, so, some that wraps up the anxiety, you know, if you really think about the what ifs, that really ramps up the anxiety tremendously. And in the midst of it, it's really hard not to go there. Mm-hmm. Now talk about it being hard not to go there, meaning? You know, because like at one time when Joe first got diagnosed, there were times where I didn't even think he had cancer, right? Like we got to do the things we wanted to do. And then further on, there was no uh, that anymore. It was like, look at what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and he also had a history of losing weight. And so when you saw, when I kept seeing that, kept seeing it, kept seeing it, that's devastating because you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with these memories? Because I noticed that 
you know, you're pretty back with him and seeing him and, uh, you know, we're asking you to do that, obviously. So yeah. you, you re how, how for me, if I do obsess about it, do you have any things that you do so that you don't, so, you know, it doesn't get too obsessive or get you down those memories? You know what, it's shifted a little bit for me. Um, with the trauma piece of it, I actually went through EMDR training. Um, oh, talk about that. Yeah. So I actually am EMDR trained. So it's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And for grief, you wouldn't target the grief itself because you don't pathologize grief. It's normal and it's needed. Right. But if there's a traumatic incident around that grief, that's what you would target. And so one of mine that I targeted was being in the hospital. Like, you know, there was times where I couldn't go back to that hospital. Even if I was driving around that hospital, I would get activated. Mm -hmm. And so one day what I did is that I gradually kind of went into the hospital or I would go sit in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to do that, but I still got a little activated. So I actually um, had EMDR therapy with that. And now I go by that hospital and I'm not activated at all. Yeah. And EMDR therapy, when you do it, you watch a pattern of something and. Well, you can do three ways. You can actually watch eye movement. It could be audio or you can hold tappers as long as bilaterally. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it kind of retrains the brain. It does. It's amazing how it works. Um, we don't know exactly how it works, but we think it's based on REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I primarily work with people who've had trauma, grief, and loss. And the reason why I decided that I was actually working in a homeless shelter, and that's all I saw was trauma, grief, loss, trauma, grief, loss. And then I had it in my own life. And I said, okay, you might want to take note to that. And so that's kind of what I specialized in. In, in doing EMDR? With yeah. the, um, we, well, have heard, we have heard amazing things about EMDR, Phyllis. Yeah. And, and I think, and for those out there that want to do it, it's, it's, you can see significant results in six to eight sessions, can't you? Um, there was actually, a, they give a little handout with it. And it's, um, it was a woman with um, PTSD and four 90 minute sessions, you could see the difference between the brain. One brain before the EMDR was completely activated and afterwards it was not. That's so it can, very, it can work very quickly depending yeah. on what you know, where the so that is. might be something for people to try who are still yeah. bringing up those painful memories. Yeah. And, and as you said, grief is normal. And, and, you know, if you have painful memories two weeks after it, I don't, you know, oh, it's completely normal. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't target like, you know, something that would be normalized in grief, just the, you know, like for instance, if somebody was murdered and you witnessed that, right. that's what you would target. Yeah, it's some, it's some really traumatic event. Yeah. Well, tell us what you're doing in your practice. And do you have a website? I do. It's healinginthemomentcounseling.com. Thank you for everything you're doing, Phyllis. I mean, mm -hmm. trauma work is very unique and specific. And I love that this is your area of expertise and that you're helping people because, like you said, you can help. If you know what you're doing and you're trained in this area, you can help people pretty mm -hmm. significantly lead really hopeful lives again. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. 
You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.